been a long time uh, since we've been in 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings looking at the life of Elijah. Just to catch you up to speed, Elijah has pronounced uh, a drought by the word of God on Israel because of their idolatry. Ahab and Jezebel are in charge and they have led Israel in idolatry and judgment for that is a drought on the land. It's exactly what God promised Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses spoke of this. said, if you want to go after idols, that's fine, but God's going to shut off the heavens. He's going to shut up the heavens. That There won't be any rain. There won't be any blessings. If you can imagine, uh, a drought would affect them not just physically but financially as well. Uh, the whole system of Israel uh, is uh, crippled and because of this drought. And instead of realizing their sin, instead of repenting in sackcloth and ashes and turning to God, Ahab blames Elijah. He blames the one uh, who was the mouthpiece for God rather than looking in the mirror and realizing he's the one that needs to get right and leading the nation in repentance. And we know from other stories throughout the Word of God, God is a merciful God. He will pardon. He will abundantly pardon. And He has mercy. Aren't you glad that when we do boneheaded things and we, uh, we, uh, we rebel, we sin against God in our fleshly rebellion, aren't you glad when we turn back to Him? I'm glad He forgives us. Amen. And God is, most of the time, God is more willing to pardon us than we are willing to repent of our sin. And, uh, but anyway, nonetheless, uh, Ahab uh, just, I mean, just digs his heels in. And, uh, and God has decided he's going to cut the water back on. But before he does that, uh, he is going to have an open showdown with Baal. And we know that happens on Mount Carmel, the God that answers by fire. It's an amazing story. And so we're on our way to Mount Carmel for this showdown, this show-off if you will, and uh, this, is, uh, this is what's going on. God is about to uh, judge the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove and all that's going on. But before, right before this takes place, Elijah has a message uh, for the nation of Israel. And I want to read it just a couple verses tonight. And uh, I want you to look at verse number 20. Verse 20 and 21. That'll be the only verses we read tonight. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people. Here's his message. Listen. And said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered him, not a word. This is a point of decision that Elijah is bringing the nation of Israel to. So how long are you going to be halt between two opinions? If God's God, Jehovah's God, then follow Him. If Baal is the Lord, then follow Him. And of course, we see their response as they do not answer Elijah a word. These people are who I call the undecided. And that's what I want to preach on just for a few minutes tonight. The undecided. Those that are living in a state of indecision. They're not fully committed to this side 
and they're not fully committed to that side. They are the undecided. You know, it seems like every election cycle we hear about the undecided voters, right? That's the people they not necessarily affiliated with this party and they're not necessarily affiliated with this party. They seem like they're the most coveted group of people by either party, either candidate. They want to get the swing voter. They want to get the undecided voter. But here in our text, we don't have undecided voters necessarily. We have undecided Worshippers. We know that Israel had a great heritage of serving God and knowing God. They, and throughout their history, they have seen time and time again where God has proved Himself. They didn't need to see fire fall down from heaven one more time. They had already seen it as a nation, seen God do <coughs> excuse me, amazing things and wonderful things uh, for their forefathers. But now they are flirting with idolatry. Uh, they, are, they are just going along to get along with uh, the nation and whatever everybody else seems to be doing. Nobody is standing up and saying, Hey, listen, uh, we, are, we aren't going to go that way. We're not going to do that. There's one God. It's Jehovah God, and we're going to worship Him. Rather, they keep their silence and they just go along to get along. It's amazing as you read about Israel, they have a sad history of... Idolatry. It seems like, you ever notice, they just kind of keep dropping into idolatry. Every time you turn around, Moses is up on the mountain, right, getting a word from God, and they, what, they slipped into idolatry, right? It didn't take long at all. They took all their clothes off, and they're dancing around some golden calf somewhere, right? And, and then the book of Judges is all about that vicious cycle of idolatry where, I mean, they, they seem like they're doing good, but then they go into idolatry and they're serving idol gods and then God allows their enemies to overtake them and allows sorrow to come. And, and then they cry out to God and say, God, we're so sorry. What have we done? And Lord, please help us. And God sends a deliverer and God raises them up. And then they only, just for them just to go back and do it all over again. And they just keep going through the same cycle over and over again of idolatry and slavery and then victory and then idolatry and slavery and victory and they go through it all again and you can see it all through the history. Why is it? Why do we struggle with these kind of things in our own life? Why do we struggle with idols? You know an idol is anything that we put above God and it may not look like a totem pole. It may not look like a golden calf but every one of us have that same, we deal and struggle with that same seduction with idolatry and we seem to just live in limbo and we live in the middle and we're not necessarily following God and we're not necessarily all out in the world but we're right there in the middle and we can't make up our mind what we want to do. I tell you what the need is of the day is a group of people that'll make up their mind they're going to serve Jesus. They're going to follow Jesus and they'd rather have Jesus than anything else this world can afford today. Amen. If God is God, then follow Him. Amen. If He's not, then go do something else. Quit messing around. Quit straddling the fence. Amen. Quit walking the line. Amen. Either get in or get out. God hates lukewarm. Spews it out of His mouth. He said, I work that thou art cold or hot. Rather than be lukewarm, play it around in this thing, in and out. God detests it. He hates it. Why do we slip into idolatry? Why do we begin to worship other things other than God? Why do we deal in this 
lukewarm state, this fence-straddling state. Why did they? Why are they going after Baal when it's so obvious that Jehovah God is the God that has come through for them time and time and time again? Idolatry seems to be the religion of popularity. There is a desire to fit in and be like everybody else. And it started from the top down. You got Ahab and Jezebel, and it just went, it just went down the line from there. Ahab and Jezebel, they're in charge. They set the tone for the country. And everybody just kind of falls in line. It's the popular thing to do. And I'm going to tell you something. That's exactly the reason why we struggle with worldliness is because that is the popular thing to do. We don't like the feeling of being weird. Nobody likes to be weird. Now, we are weird, but we don't want to be seen as weird. We want to fit in. That's why teenagers and young people and then even adults, they'll do all kind of stuff. They'll do all kind of crazy stuff just so they can fit in, just so they can be popular, be part of the crowd. That's why they'll forsake God. They'll forsake everything that God has ever done for them and everything that God has ever been for them just so they can be a part of the popular crowd. They just want to be popular. I can see Israel here. Just going along with the flow. Just, I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to serve God, you're not going to go along with the flow. There is a reproach. It seemed like I, was that maybe Wednesday night? Was I preaching on that? There's a reproach for following Christ. The world hated Jesus. If the world hated Jesus, it's going to hate you. You can't serve Jesus and be popular at the same time. You can't. It's just that you, you, you gotta make, you're going to have to go one way or you're going to have to go the other way. You're going to have to either you're going to you're going to have the world applaud you and approve of you and and think highly of you and think well of you or you're going to have the world hate you because you're going to follow Christ but you can't have both. Amen. And there's people that made an idol out of popularity and they just want to be they want to go along to get along and so they can just stay in the groove and go with the flow and they don't want to ruffle any feathers. They don't want to be seen as be seen as weird or unpopular or or anything like that. But I'm going to tell you something, friend, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you won't care how many people thought well of you. There will only be one person's opinion that will matter that day, and it'll be the one who's sitting on the throne. It'll be Christ Himself. Would to God we would adopt that attitude today and care more about what He thinks than what the world thinks. You'll be glad you did one day. Amen. Idolatry seems to be the religion of the popular. There's a popularity with idolatry. Uh, idolatry is the religion of, uh, of the permissive. The permissible. Um, idolatry, idolatry is always a religion that lets you do what you want to do. That's why there's a seduction with idolatry. Because with God, there's rules, there's standards, there's boundaries, there's authority. With idolatry, because you normally you don't have uh, you don't have an idol that says uh, you must only worship me. Usually it's either you serve Jehovah God exclusively or you can serve a plethora of gods. You can serve many gods, several gods. There is a permissiveness even with Baal worship. 
Uh, there was all kinds of uh, promiscuity and, and, uh, and a sensual nature to bell worship. It, it, it gratified the flesh. It satisfied the flesh. You could do what you want to do. You, you, you could live in sin and still be religious. So God doesn't offer that. You serve God, you're going to have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him. There is a satisfaction that is above fleshly satisfaction. There is a joy that is above earthly joy. There there is something that is is better than that, beyond that. But if you want to gratify your flesh, then live in idolatry. And that's why most people do. They live in idolatry. By the way, most people's idols just themselves. That's what they they worship. If you were to, if you were to take the mask off, you know, like uh, like Scooby Doo and all them, you know, they just they you know they pull the mask off at the end of the show. How I many y'all know what I'm talking about? Look who it is. It's me. <laughs> Who's their God? Well, oh, there it is. It's them. And that's why their God allows them to do whatever they want to do and whatever they like, their God likes, and whatever they don't like, their God doesn't like. They're against everything that they don't like, and their God is for everything that they do like. They want to live in fornication? Well, God's okay. their God's okay with that. They want to live in adultery. They, they want to live uh, uh, and just do their own thing. They want to push church to the side and their Bible to the side and standards to the side and do all that. That's fine. Your God's fine with all that. You've got permission to do what you want to do. But if you serve God, it's a narrow way. It's a straight gate. Amen. People go into idolatry because of the popularity. People go into idolatry because of the permissiveness. People go into idolatry because of the power that's behind it. You know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 when he's speaking to the church at Corinth about the idols and meat offered idols and all that? He said, now we know an idol is, is no thing. It's, it's nothing, right? I mean, it's fake. We're talking about Diana this morning, Artemis and all that. It's fake. There is no Diana. There is no Artemis. There is no Baal. You understand that, right? There is no Dagon. There is, there is no all these all these other gods, the, the Apollos and Zeus and all these mythological. Uh, uh, there, there's there's none of those things. You understand? They don't exist. But, but, Paul said when they sacrifice to those gods, they're actually sacrificing to what? To devils, to demons. There is a satanic power to idolatry. There is a satanic uh, uh, seduction that comes with idolatry. And though that idol may not be real, though there's nothing there, there is no sun god, there is no moon god, there is no fertility god, but there is demons. There are demons. There is a devil. And he seduces men. There is a seduction to idolatry. And that's why people forsake the true and living God is because there is an enemy and he seduces and he tempts and he draws people away and he'll use a job and he'll use a boyfriend and he'll use a girlfriend and he'll use a sports game and he'll use a hobby and he'll use this and he'll use that and he will draw you away. And you'll begin, your heart will be turned from the true and the living God and you'll be turn into other things, begin to worship ourselves, worship our own image. And it's satanic is what it is. There's a satanic seduction that is the idolatry. And Elijah confronts 
the nation of Israel that's living in idolatry. And he tells them that God is not a permissible God. He will not allow His people to live in idolatry. That is rule number one. Isn't that right? No other gods before me. Commandment numero uno. And that is the issue. God will not share His people with an idol. That is God's big no-no. You shall have no other gods before me. I will be the only God that is worshipped or you will not worship me at all. You cannot bring Baal worship and Jehovah worship and mix them together. You cannot bring idolatry and Christianity and mix them together. Either serve God and get on with it or go do your own thing and suffer the consequences of it. You can't have both. And God has always, throughout history, God has always brought His people to a moment of decision. You remember when Moses come down off the mountain, the Bible says in Exodus 32, that he stood in the gate of the camp and he said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Who's on the Lord's side? I would ask you that same question tonight. Who is on the Lord's side? Are you on His side? Remember when Joshua confronted Israel? He had his own moment. He said, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Listen, you have the freedom to choose to serve whoever you want. If you want to live in sin, if you want to live in idolatry, if you want to live in wickedness, if you want to live in worldliness, that's fine. That's your choice. Go do it. But listen, you can't serve God too. You can't do it both. You can't have it both ways. It's either one way or it's the other way. Make up your choice. And Joshua goes on to say, uh, but as for me and my house, he said, we will what? We will serve the Lord. I like daddy making up his mind for the whole house. I like that a lot. Because most dads these days ain't got enough backbone to do anything. They let their kids run around and do whatever they want with whoever they want to. Hey, daddies, it's time to stand up. If they live under your roof, it's your job to make sure they're going the right way. You can't change. You can't do anything about what's in their heart. But you can sure take care of what's going on on the outside until God does the work in their heart. Amen and amen. Most guys are in charge if their wives let them be in charge. Amen. Anyway. But I like a daddy that'll stand up and say, no, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do right. We're going to live right. We're going to act right. We ain't going to be hanging around these people. And as long as you're living under my roof, amen. Now, if they want to leave and go pay their own bills, do anything, that's fine. But as long as they're living under my roof, as many kids as we have, Heather, all right, they keep coming, seems like. They're going to serve the Lord with their daddy. Somebody say amen right there. And if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Amen. Daddy, you are in control of your house. Amen. Jesus said it. He said, no man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate one and love the other, or else he'll hold the one and despise the other. You hear what Jesus just said? He said, no man can serve two masters. See, most people think, well... Jesus didn't really mean that. I can. 
I can serve the world and I can do this. I... No, 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 you can't. You can't have two masters. You cannot serve God and what? Mammon? You can't serve them both. You're either going to love one, is what he said, and hate the other. Or you're going to hold the one and despise the other. Some people try to live their life trying to prove Jesus wrong. Hey, look up here, neighbor. Jesus ain't wrong. <laughs> you can't do it. And you never will be able to do it. It's time to make up your mind. It's time to make up your mind. And that is why we need preaching. That's what preaching does. That's what Elijah's doing. He's preaching to these people. You know what preaching does? It brings you to a moment of decision. That's true preaching. Here's how I always explain the difference between teaching and preaching. By the way, we need both. Teaching, and there needs to be teaching and preaching. There ought to be a little bit of preaching and teaching. Amen. No doubt about that, but we need both. Teaching says, here's what the Bible says, do you understand? That's what teaching is. It's for comprehension. Understanding, grasping truth. But real Bible preaching is not just do you understand what the text says, but it's what are you going to do with what the text says. Preaching really is supposed to bring people to a point of decision. Where you have, that's why we give an altar call at the end of a message. It's because we've come to the end of it. I've poured my heart out. I've told you what the Bible says. Now what are you going to do about it? Here's what the Bible says. Now what are you going to do with it? I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for preaching that don't bring you to a point of decision. Amen. And that's most of what we got going on in America. I mean, most preachers, they wouldn't hit a snake with a stick. Amen. They wouldn't call sin bad and sin evil for anything in the world. They wouldn't make people uncomfortable. They don't want to make people uncomfortable. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you're sitting on a fence, you ought to be uncomfortable. A fence is not a comfortable place to be. I can think of about several reasons why that would hurt. Amen. My job as a preacher is to point out the fact that offense is not a comfortable place to be. On the line. It ought to make you uncomfortable to know that you're not... If you're in here tonight and you're not sold out to God, you ought to feel very uncomfortable tonight. Amen. Sometimes the carnality gets to me as a pastor. You say, your carnality? No, I'm fine with mine. It's yours that I have a problem with. Mine doesn't bother me near as bad as yours does. <laughs> Amen. I think, man, I wish, I wish Facebook didn't even exist. I wish social media didn't exist. That way I wouldn't know how carnal. Some people are just carnal and they don't care who knows it. They just let everybody know just how wicked they are and how worldly they are. Amen. Blows my mind. Stuff people put on there. And I get by and I think, man, if that's, if that's as good as I'm doing, I just need to do something else. I mean, if that's the best I can do, get people to live that way, I preach my heart out to them, that's the best I can get them to live, I'm just going to do something else. And you know what I made up my mind I'm going to do? I ain't going anywhere. You know why? If nothing else, I want to make you miserable. 
I hope I make all the carnal people in here, all the worldly people, all the fence sitters in here, all the people that you just sitting on the fence and you won't make up your mind. You're not sold out to God. I hope I make you so mad tonight. I hope you walk out of here. Just, well, I hope you get right. But if you ain't going to get right, I hope you walk out of here so mad with me that you go home and delete me from everything. You wouldn't be the first. Amen. Heather made me mad this afternoon. I guess that's what it... No, I'm just kidding. <coughs> Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm just going to... I'm going to afflict. I plan on afflicting people. Amen. If nothing else. If you ain't going to get right, well, I'm not going to quit preaching about getting right. Amen. You can be carnal, but you ain't going to be comfortable here at this church. Amen. Amen. Because I'm going to scream, holler, spit, and stomp all I can about it. That's what I plan on doing. Amen. Till they run me off. Amen. That'll be fine. But I'm going to tell you something. You can't do both. It's not God's will. For us to vacillate. And I know we have a flesh and I know we struggle. I know I, I, I understand all that kind of stuff. And I know we're not always flaming Christians every single day of our life. I'm going to tell you what, there is, a, there is a, a certain direction of your life that you should be able to see. A, 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 a direction. What's the word I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking for? A trajectory of life that you're on that is sold out for God or living in this world. And you ought not to be comfortable being in the middle. I want you to notice just a couple things about in this text that I see here. And I want to show them to you real quick and I'm done. <clears throat> Number one, I want you to notice this. First of all, I want you to see their, the, the, the undecided, this undecided crowd. I want you to see their crippling affliction. <clears throat> their crippling affliction. I want you to notice a word that Elijah uses in verse number 21. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long? Now, notice this word right here. Here it is. Circle it. What does it say? Halt. You between two opinions. How long halt ye between two opinions? That word halt, it just simply means to hesitate. It means to doubt whether to proceed, to doubt what to do. But it also means this. It also has the idea of, of, of a limping. Uh, Jesus, he, he, he cleansed the, and, he, and he healed the, the, the lame and the blind and the maim and the, the halt. That was one of, that's an affliction. It's a, it's a, it's a crippledness. Being halt, Brother Mitchell, is being, being not, it's not just, a, not just stopping, I would think of. It can be that. But it also has more to do with the indecision, the indecisiveness causes uh, a person to live handicapped uh, in, a, in a crippled way, uh, in, in a way that is almost like they're lame, they're unable to walk. And that's exactly what indecision is. Indecision is a, it's a handicap. It's a paralysis. And it incapacitates somebody from being able to walk a certain direction because that was the command, right? The command is if God is God, then do what? Follow Him. If Baal is God, then do what? 
follow Him. But when you're undecided, when you're indecisive, you can't do either one. You're, you're just as good as crippled. You're just as good as handicapped. People that are undecided, that haven't made up their mind, they're right in the middle and they're not a very good sinner because they don't want to go all the way into the world. And they're not a very good saint because they don't want to go all the way with God. And they're just some kind of a crippled handicap, just limping between two different opinions. That's what James said. He said a double-minded man is what? He's unstable in all of his ways. There's a crippledness. There's a handicap that comes. I read this Spurgeon quote. I really liked it. Here's what he said. Listen, he said, The most miserable person in the world is the half-committed Christian. He has just enough God to make him miserable in the world, but just enough of the world to make him miserable in God. Just enough, those that are half committed, they're the most miserable Christian in all the world, most miserable people in all the world. I think they're more miserable than lost people. At least lost people, they get to enjoy their sin, right? They're out in sin, they're pleasure in sin for a season. And it seems like, even though they suffer consequences and reap all kind of bad stuff, it seems like they're still having a good time down there in sin. There's pleasure in it for a season, but not for a saved man. Saved man's miserable. If you're truly saved and you're living in sin and you're living worldly, you're miserable. And if you're not miserable, you're not saved. Amen. Amen. If you're happy, if you're content, if you're satisfied, then that's your master. You have followed. You're not handicapped. You're not limping. You're walking. You're following Baal. You're following your master. You're following this world. Amen. But if you're only half in and half out, if you're only half committed to this thing, and you can't be, you try to go with the world and you just limp along with them. And then you try to go with the church and you just limp along with the church. And all you're doing is just limping along. You'll never walk. You'll never run. You'll never follow. Because indecisiveness yields a handicap. There's a crippling affliction. That half-hearted, half-committed Christianity is... That's what's crippling our churches. That's why most of our churches are crippled. Because we're full of crippled people. Limping along. You're not soaring for God. and You're not soaring for the world. You're just half-heartedly doing everything. And we have trouble doing what God has called us to do and being what God has called us to be. Because we're just limping along. Can I get a witness right there? They're crippling affliction. Number two, let me show you this. Not only their crippling affliction, but I see, I'm going to call it this, their concealed, their concealed admission. <clears throat> it's concealed because they didn't just come out and say their choice. They admitted something without admitting it. Because I want you to notice their response to Elijah's ultimatum. Do you see it at the end of verse number 21? And the people answered him not a word. Now, I'm up here. I'm like Elijah tonight, right? Calling people to a commitment. Calling people to a decision. Saying, hey, make up your mind. Which way are you going to go? Right? 
You don't have to stand up and say, hey, I'm going with Baal. Hey, I'm going with the world. Hey, I'm not going to sell out. You don't have to stand up and do that. Your silence tells us everything we need to know. It's an admission. An indecision is an admission in and of itself. Silence is those that will not stand up and be counted with God. Those that will not stand up and say, I love Him. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold or man's applause or man's approval. I'd rather have Him. That's my God and I love Him. Those that are unwilling to stand up and be counted with the redeemed. You don't have to tell us what your decision is. We already know. We can hear it loud and clear. We know what your choice is. Your indecision is an admission in and of itself. Amen. They didn't say anything. They didn't have to say anything. Their silence said it all. Their admission was that we are not totally convinced that Jehovah is God. Because if they were, they would have followed Him. And that's exactly what people do. People come into church and they leave church and they never say a word. Their lives leave us all in doubt whether they're even truly saved or not. They live their life like God doesn't even exist. And I'm here to tell you, that is your confession. That is your admission. That is your decision. Where are those that will say something? If you love Jesus, you won't be ashamed to say it. If you love Jesus, it will come out on you. We used to, when I was a kid, mom and dad did a bus route. And when we get just a few miles from the church, just a few minutes from pulling into the church, we'd put them windows down on the bus route. On the bus, we'd put all the windows down if they weren't down already. And we'd start real quiet, real low like, <clears throat> And we'd start chanting. We'd say, I love Jesus. Couldn't be prouder. If you can't hear me, I'll shout a little louder. And then we'd just take it up one decibel. And we'd say it all over again. And then we'd take it up another decibel. And we'd say it again. And we'd say it again. And we'd say it again. And by the time we pulled in the parking lot, we had blood vessels bursting out of our, our, our foreheads because we were shouting so loud. Amen. Now I'm not saying you got to... Shout, all right, physically. Amen. I'm not saying you got to share, you know, some picture on Facebook or, you know, or forward something to 10 people or whatever. Maybe that's why we're having bad luck these days. You should have forwarded those emails. It's, your pro- it's all your fault. Because <laughs> anybody can do that. Talk is cheap, isn't it? In, in, in a lot of ways, talk is cheap. But, man, our life, I want my life to say, I love Him. If you live your life and people are in doubt and people wonder, that's your decision. You've made your decision. 
their concealed admission. One, one last thing and I'm done. I see their crippling affliction, their concealed admission. And then thirdly and lastly, I see their casual assumption. Their casual assumption. They're very casual about it. They have an assumption. They assume something. Now I want you to notice Elijah's question. Elijah's question is one of time, isn't it? The question starts out with this. How long? That's the question. The question is not, are you undecided? Elijah already knew they were. The question was, how long are you going to be like this? The assumption on their part was, I don't have to make a decision. It's okay to live in indecision. It's okay to live as an undecided. But can I tell you, friend, that's a deadly assumption. That's a fatal assumption. Hell is populated with people that were just like that. I thought, well, I don't have to make a decision now. I don't have to decide now. I don't have to do it now. I can make a decision later. Right? Like old Pharaoh. One more night with the frogs. Come to me later. Oh, was it Agrippa? Felix? But Paul? I need a a more convenient season. Just come to me later. Maybe, you know, I'm not really ready to make a decision right now, but... I'll make a decision later. Can I tell you, a lot of times, most of the time, that later never comes. Elijah's question to them is, how long are you going to live like this? Because you can't live like this forever. There is coming a day when you will stand before God. And you'll either stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ as a son But if you've lived your life carnally and wickedly and selfishly and fleshly, you will be ashamed. And everything that you've ever done, everything you've ever worked for, it will go up in flames. Your wood, your hay, your stubble, and you will be absolutely embarrassed and ashamed before the one who gave everything for you. And if that doesn't bother you, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, how hard-hearted could you be for the Son of God, the Lamb of God that died for you, for Him, His approval or disapproval, for that not to even mean anything at all to you? I can't can't help somebody like that. God has to do a work in their heart. Or you'll stand at the great white throne judgment with the sinners. You'll realize that the time for decisions are in a certain window. See, that's what people think. They think, I got forever. I can make a decision anytime I want to. Young people think that. They think, I can just, you know, I'm going to live, do my own thing. I'm going to live for bail now. I'm going to live for the world. I'm going to live for money. I'm going to live for pleasure. I'm going to do all that now. And then later on, you know, when I get old and fuddy-duddy, then I'll sell out to God. Can I tell you something? You're playing and you're assuming a lot of things. You're presuming a lot of things that may or may not be so. Amen. You're assuming that you're going to have time. You don't know that. You're assuming you're going to have mental capacity. You don't know that. You're assuming you're going to have the ability. You don't know that. You have no idea what a day may bring forth. 
If you're lost in here tonight, you're presuming I can just be saved whenever, I can get saved whenever, I can get right whenever. You're, you're presuming some things that you have no right to presume. So to the undecided, I would say, how long? I would, my, my question is the same as Elijah's question. How, how long are you going to be in this position? Because the procrastinator, he always has the assumption that he'll have time to decide at a later date. But the truth is, you don't have forever. You have a short window to make decisions. And by the way, young people, I tell you tonight, I know you're listening really good, so I want to tell you tonight, Listen, you got a window where, in which you're going to be making a lot of big decisions in your life. You better follow God now. You better surrender your life now. I'm talking, about, I'm talking to you, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old. Listen, you better sell out to God now or you're going to be living with consequences that you don't want to be living with later, down, later on down the road. Listen to me. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. I beg you to listen to me. You won't regret it. Make up your mind now. Do it now. Decide now. Choose Christ now. Don't wait. Every day you wait, you're sowing a harvest that you're going to have to reap later down the road. Be not deceived. God is not mine. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. I'm not trying to be doomsday tonight. I'm just trying to tell you, make up your mind. Quit straddling the fence. You cannot be undecided forever. Don't wait too late to make up your mind. Don't wait too late. And that was the burden on Elijah's heart. That's what he prayed in his prayer, right? Verse 36, 37. When he's praying to God, he said, Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. That was what was on his heart. By the way, that's what's on any good preacher's heart. I want people to know that you are real and that you are worth serving and that you are everything. That's the burden that's on my heart tonight. And God moves in a big way and the people are convinced. When the people saw it, verse 39, they saw the fire fall. I fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. That's good. That's a good thing. I'm glad they made up their mind after they saw the fire. But let me ask you sitting in this building tonight, what are you waiting on? What else do you need to see? I'm going to tell you something. Calvary is enough. The cross is enough. The empty tomb is enough. That's enough for you to go on that right there. If you never get a fuzzy feeling, a funny feeling, if you never get a case of the, I just can't help it, if you never shout, if you never run the aisle, if you never get in another glory service, just the fact that Jesus died for your sins, that's enough to go on and serve Him all the days of your life. That fire fell from heaven and it consumed the sacrifice. That fire fell from heaven. It should have fell on them. They should have been judged. Yet the fire fell on the sacrifice. You know what that is? That's mercy. 
I'd say that's exactly what happened on Calvary. The fire of God fell, but it didn't fall on us like it should have. It fell on the sacrifice. It fell on Jesus Christ. And the very fact that God has been merciful to us and been gracious to us and been good to us, the very breath that we breathe and the life that we live, it's the good that we live and the goodness of God. And that's what Paul said when he spoke to the Romans. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, on the basis that God has been a merciful, God, take your body and put it on the altar of sacrifice and give everything to God. It's not unreasonable. It's not illogical. It is our reasonable service is what he said. It's reasonable. It's logical. It's that which agrees with reason. You to sell out your life and give up everything. Give up your hopes, your plans, your dreams, your life. and Sell out and follow God the rest of your life. That would not be an illogical thing. That would not be an irrational decision. It would be in accordance to reason and logic when you measure it against everything that He's given us and everything that He is for us. So I say, hey, serve Him, not because if you don't, He's going to whop you upside the head, but serve Him because He's such a good God. And He has been merciful to us. And the fire of His judgment fell on the sacrifice and it didn't fall on you. And so now you can be a living, you don't have to be a dead sacrifice. You can be a living sacrifice because God is a merciful God. Give Him your life. Quit sitting on the fence. If you're going to go to the world, pack up, stand up right now and go. But if you're going to stick around, give Him everything you got. Don't be a half-hearted. Don't be half-committed. Don't be half in and half out. Either get in or get out. Amen. Either He is God or He's not. Either He has saved you or He has not. Either He's real or He's not. Make up your mind, do it today, and then follow God the rest of your life. Let's stand together all over the building.